why is it so hard to talk about race? We discuss this and more with special guests Nathan Scherer and Zahori Zapata on this episode of The Overthinkers. It's going to be a real one. Well, hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, fearless coward. And with me, as always, is my terrifyingly talented co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and someone who's going to do a lot of listening today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you just sit down, shut up, and listen. That is very fair. Um, and with us, again, is our predictably perfect producer and tech wizard. Suffering succotas. I'm back at it again. Yes. <laughs> Who got roped into recording an episode with us. <laughs> yes. Um, Nathan Share, or as we call him, Nathan A. And of course, my co-host is Nathan One, to keep things straight between them. <laughs> um, and with us again, we have a very special returning guest. She is a writer, artist, content creator, social media influencer, and mental health advocate with a bachelor's in theology. She is the writer and artist behind the new ongoing webcomic series, Wrath and Peace, and is a valued member of the Overthinkers online community. She is the zany, the zealous, the sensational Zahori Zapata. Zahori, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, and I apologize in advance if you hear my dog yelling. He's <laughs> very rambunctious. That he has is a lot to say too. <laughs> Speaking of apologizing, apologizing, I do want to get one quick thing off my chest, Zahori, before we go go ahead with this. Uh, I don't know if this is offensive at all, but I feel like I just need to admit this, Zahori. When I feel when I, I love hearing your full name because whenever I hear it, it kind of rhymes with Hakuna Matata to me. So I immediately just want to start singing Hakuna Matata every oh. time someone says your full name. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's the syllables in the last name that that's a reminder. Exactly. Like there's this moment in the movie Lion King one and a half where like Timon's trying to like think of the name Hakuna Matata and in the background Pumbaa's like making all this food for him and like making food and like he's naming all these rhymes as he's doing it. So it's like yeah. a tuna frittata, a green enchilada, a spinach armada. And so now I'm thinking of your name in that sequence. <laughs> Oh, no words. Oh, for me, Six mm. The Hori Zapata. That, yes. that, I'm never going to be able to say your name without thinking that now. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. No, it's a beautiful thing to be associated with, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, so on a seamless transition, <laughs> insert seamless transition here. Segway, fly. Fly, segway, fly. Exactly. Um, today, we're going to be talking about why it's so difficult to talk about race. But first, Nathan, one, if people enjoy our discussion and want to check out more of our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts. They can write us all of their love and hate mail and give us any ideas uh, for future episodes that they want to hear us talk about. They can also learn more about our live events. We've had a few now. Where we've connected with overthinkers in real life right here in New York City. It's been so much fun. And we want to see you at one of, the, one of these events. You can also go to our online private Facebook page where you can meet uh, thousands of other overthinkers just like yourself, all engaging in conversations, fun memes, and reading articles. We'd love to see you there. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review or share with a friend. It really does help us so much. Cool. So on that note, everyone ready to get started? Let's do it. Cool. So conversations on race have always been a part of Western culture and American life. 
But there's been a renewed interest in discussions about race in recent years, prompted in large part by the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd protests. According to Pew Research, more than half of Americans say that they've had discussed racial issues with friends or family within the past week. However, despite this, there's clearly a deep discomfort of talking about the subject. Other Pew studies, such as those summarized in the piece, how often people talk about race with family and friends depends on racial group education and politics, that rolls off the tongue, um, shows that close to half of people in all racial camps only talk about race within people of their own ethnic group. Everyone seems to agree that the conversations seem to make people uncomfortable more than seemingly any other contentious cultural topic, as noted in the myriad of articles online simply titled, Why Is It So Hard to Talk About Race?, like those published by the Atlantic and the Gospel Coalition, or when they really want to spice up the titles, like the New York Times articles, like why is race so hard to talk about? So, Zahori, this is an interesting episode because you actually suggested we talk about this and speak it, and you, as part of that, you spoke about how difficult you found it to find people to talk about racial matters with you and how they would freeze up or get uncomfortable when you did bring it up. You said you found it even more willingness to talk about like gender issues with people without that level of discomfort. Hmm. So mm-hmm. could you elaborate more like on that experience, like what you're, you were looking for in, in having conversations and what the response was sort of start off the conversation? So honestly, most of the time, those conversations would spark because I would be telling uh, for example, maybe um, my my boyfriend or just my friends in university, the majority of which who, who were white, um, I, I would just be telling them maybe in casual conversation about something that happened to my dad. Like, for example, mm. one time I was hanging out uh, around my boyfriend's family and my dad called me in the like while we were having dinner. And he told me, hey, so guess what happened? And I was like, what happened? He said, I got kicked out of the bank. And I was like, why? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) The cashier thought I was suspicious. The security guard told me to leave. And I was like, what the heck? And so, of course, because this just happened, I was just on the phone with my dad. I come back to the table and I brought it up. Right. I, I said, wow, my dad just called me and told me he got kicked out of the bank. And my boyfriend, of course, asked why. And I said, I'm assuming I don't want to, but unfortunately I can't really think of anything else my dad would do because my dad is not a bank thief, (laughs) right? I'm assuming they thought my dad was going to steal something possibly because he's a giant black man and he got kicked out of the bank and everyone at the table just like, I could feel like the the Mm. air come out of their lungs, right? Like, and it was... It, it was just striking to me because that was not the first time that that was the response that I got from bringing up something that for me is a very natural thing to talk about because unfortunately my dad and I have been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it was very striking to me because I thought about it. And when I, when I look back at that, and I look back at other conversations or attempted conversations that I've had with other people, I just noticed that there's almost a sense of, uh, on their end, I don't want to say anything because either I am going to sound insensitive or I'm afraid that she's going to accuse me of sounding insensitive, right? Um, or uh, it more so on my end, right? Am I going to be too defensive, 
right? Am I going to be too defensive? Am I going to react to things that maybe I shouldn't, right? And everything like that in response to that pain. And so that's what really ignited um, my sense of, I want to say passion when it comes to addressing that sense of discomfort when it comes to talking about race, because it is most definitely something that I've noticed in my life. And and it's a sad thing that I've noticed in my life, right? Because I, I don't think when it comes to conversations about race, especially when people do have genuinely good things to say, right, and they don't want to have an argument or get political, right, sure. that no one really feels like they can say anything, especially in, for me, especially white people. Yeah. Um, be, because wh- whether we like it or not, just because someone is not the minority and may not experience racism to the same scale as somebody with darker skin. That doesn't mean that they don't have good things to say about it. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't mean that they can't be heartfelt. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's really what prompted my initial thoughts that, that led me to uh, talk to you and, um, and Nathan about it in the first place uh, when I messaged you that like a little while ago about it. Um, that was just, it was because it was right after that instance with my boyfriend's family. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. This is, this is really um, interesting. Cause I remember you, you sending this in this email and this is a topic talking about race and racism. That's important. And, and here at the overthinkers, we like talking about important things, especially the questions that are going around our culture and that live mm-hmm. in the mind of so many people, especially today, but it's also one that brings a lot of stress and worry, obviously. And and it's something that you don't want to misstep on, right? You don't want to say the wrong thing. And <clears throat> I'm about to use that. As a white guy, um, <laughs> I think my biggest fear in having these conversations isn't that, um, how do I say this? It is that my intent will be misread. Because mm-hmm. at the heart of it, my intent is I hate racism. I love all people. Every My Christianity, my, my religion, my faith tells me that everyone is creating the image of God. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I hate the things that have happened in the past. I want to find a way to where everyone, regardless of their skin, can be treated the same. All these things. So I have this heart. But mm-hmm. I know that we also live in an age in which a lot of times intent is not the thing um, that you get judged by, right? Because you'll, you'll right. see people with good intent and Twitter will jump on them because they word it the wrong way or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so my fear isn't with my intent because my heart is for people and against um, discrimination, oppression, racism. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my faith tells me to and inside my heart I do. But my I think sometimes the worry is, well, I want to express these things, but what if I don't have the language to articulate them in a way that conveys how I feel or, or what if it somehow it gets taken the wrong way? And so I think maybe sometimes that can be um, part of why, you know, you said your boyfriend's family, they froze up because I imagine they love you, but I also imagine there's a fear of, what do I say? And I don't want to say, I don't want my intent to be misconstrued, but, but I know in this kind of age, it definitely can when everything is so heightened right now. Mm-hmm. That's something yeah. I've experienced. Um, but I'm blessed to have friends like Nathan, who knows me, who knows mm-hmm. my intent. So I don't worry about saying the wrong thing because it's taken in stride and he knows mm-hmm. beneath it what I'm trying to get at. And so I think that's a really valuable thing is actually form, like Joseph, you pointed out that a lot of people t- talk about race only within their ethnic group. 
Make friends with people who look different than you, not just because they look different than you, but make friends with a myriad of people um, who know you and your intent and your heart. And you're going to feel more comfortable opening up and talking about those things. Am I in, am I in the money at all, Nathan? Uh, I think you're in the right direction. I think part of it is, yes, make friends with a lot of people, get to know a lot of people, know diverse cast of people, but don't make that the end goal per se. Where it's like, don't like, like be friends with like minorities just for sake of doing it. Be friends yeah. with them because you actually want to do it and be friends with it coming from a better understanding of yourself and like what your priorities are and what your goals are and what you want to share as a person. So like know who you are. And I feel like a part, like part of the difficulties that people seem to have about talking about races, like you guys were just saying, they're afraid of like hurting someone or they're afraid of being misunderstood mm -hmm. or they're afraid of like causing more harm than good through the conversation. And to me, that just screams insecurity. And mm -hmm. when I hear insecurity, I hear someone, and I'm speaking from personal experience as well, I hear someone who doesn't quite have a full grasp of who they are themselves and who they are and like don't have a strong foundation of like where they're, where they're coming from and their identity and what their identity and what they're doing this for. Mm -hmm. And so like when they freak out about possibly hurting someone and hold themselves back, they're worried that like they're going to be labeled, like they're going to take on a new label, of, like, oh, well, these people are going to call me racist or I'm going to call myself mm -hmm. racist. And like, that's going to be my new identity. I don't want to just acknowledge that identity because I'm still trying to figure out what my identity is. But I'm worried mm -hmm. that's like what I'm going to be, become now. Mm -hmm. but I feel like if you have a stronger understanding of who you are, mm -hmm. your own intentions, what you cherish and what you want to value and what your goals are as a person, as a human being, you have an easier time facing the unknown of, dealing with a difficult conversation of racism with someone that you might not know super well, but want to get to know and know that like, you're not trying to hurt them. And if you present yourself like that, they will have an easier time knowing that you're not trying to hurt them too. And like, that's mm -hmm. why I feel like that's in a perfect world. That's what the church is meant to look like. It's meant to be a place where lots of people, different people from lots of different um, facts of life from very different upbringings, talk to each other from a comfortable place of knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. And what's more, their goal isn't to like, meet each other or like be diverse for the sake of being diverse it's to bring the kingdom of god onto mm -hmm. earth and so like if that's your main goal all these other things will fall into place because like if this is your team of people and this is your goal and something's like causing you not your team not to function properly because like racism or whatever then you're going to want to make damn sure that like you're working out your kinks because your ultimate goal is to bring the kingdom of god on earth so it's like oh we're having trouble difficulty difficulty talking to each other then let's talk this out so we can figure this out so we can get back to doing what we what we both know we really want to do yeah that that's really makes a lot of sense that's really interesting you talking about taking on the label to yourself mm -hmm. because i resonate with a lot i kind of a lot of these things like i i'm often like you know reluctant to talk about racial issues because i am afraid that you know i'm going to be i'm going to be bullying the person sort mm -hmm. of unintentionally mm -hmm. that it's going to be perceived as bullying and that you know in some way that you know if you know, if there's some room, you know, in any conversation that's going to happen, that's any honest, real conversation, there has to be room for people to um, say what they think and potentially disagree with each other on a topic. Mm. And the problem is that for many people, you know, on the topic of race, disagreeing with them is experienced as bullying, is experienced mm -hmm. right. as an act, an attack, and an experience mm -hmm. as being, you know, part of a long history of denying experiences of mm -hmm. people of ethnic minorities. And like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to be right. a part of that legacy. Mm -hmm. I don't want mm -hmm. to be attacking somebody or acting violence that way in that way. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, and of course any disagreement on sort of like, you know, experiences is, is 
always kind of small. Like, I mean, it's like when someone's talking about their experience, you can't disagree with them about their experience because like, well, they experienced mm-hmm. it. Right. There's some more room when talking about interpretation of the experience. There's even more room when you're talking about, you know, uh, independent facts that we can all look at or even like solutions to the problem. Um, but mm-hmm. the, but if there's oftentimes, you know, find that in this issue, any disagreement is taken as um, is taken as an attack. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt and harm mm-hmm. somebody. But then I'm in a situation where I, in order to have a conversation, I have to either say things that I don't believe mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, or I have to um, or imply that I, I think things I don't believe. And then sort of like, you know, I kind of resent that. Mm-hmm. I can resent that. Um, that, but then I feel guilty about resenting it (laughs) because it's Mm -hmm. like, no, like I don't have the right to Mm -hmm. be, you know, resentful in a situation like this. So you kind of bring that all into the place. What you pointed out, Nathan is interesting. And I have to think about is that if you are actually secure in yourself, you know, maybe that's the, the issue is, is like, well, okay. It's okay. If they think maybe, you know, that I'm a bad person, if I know that I'm not, Mm-hmm. You know, if, right. if maybe I'm more secure in where I'm at. Um, but I don't know if any of us are kind of ever going to be in, be secure enough before we start the conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very interesting. I have to think about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, honestly, personally, I just feel like on both sides of the conversation, we just kind of need to learn to get over ourselves a little bit. Because, mm-hmm. yes, I can understand the logic of holding yourself back in the, in the short term in the heat of this moment because you don't want to hurt anyone. But as you're just describing, the thing is that winds up hurting you and possibly even the other person in the long run because you're saying things that should have been said and holding it back. And likewise, I feel like on the other side of the spectrum, when, we have, when you do have people, including Black people, who take a disagreement as an attack or as an offense, I see that as people who, again, should learn to take things a little bit, stride a little bit more, where it's like, I'm not going to be offended just because you have a disagreement with me because... I know you and you know me. We're a happy family. And what's more, what the most important thing is that we know ourselves and we know not everyone's going to understand me the way I understand me or the way my friends understand me. And so I shouldn't like fight and die on every hill with every stranger just because they don't understand or like have a disagreement. And and what's more, any opportunity and any time that there is a disagreement, we again, like we either want to double down with our stubbornness or withdraw because we think we're a bad person, mm-hmm. but it's really if we stop and think about it, it's really a good opportunity to help someone help both yourself and the other piece, person grow as a human being because you're having a difficult conversation with them. You're helping this other person skew their opinions slightly differently by like ed- educating on them on something they like weren't understanding. And what's more, you're learning how to express yourself to a person you never thought you would express yourself to before. So now you're becoming more eloquent as a person and, wa- and well-rounded mm-hmm. as a person. So like, it's an opportunity for both people to become more well-rounded mm-hmm. or to use like biblical terms, helping iron sharpen iron. Mm. Any of that resonate with you, uh, Zahori? Yeah, like, honestly, the only thing I can think right now is what I've seen when it comes to the way that people tend to approach conversations about, about race in terms of their general discomfort around it. I find that a very common pattern that I see that 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 really causes this discomfort is I'm going to sound very political right now. I promise I will not use very, very big words. We trust you. But to me, it seems a lot like a form of social Marxism. So for people mm-hmm. who don't know what Marxism is, it's basically this idea that there's only two groups in society. Mm-hmm. There's the mm-hmm. oppressors and there's the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And unfortunately, 
especially these days, social Marxism is a very attractive view, especially for the people who are who feel like they are the ones who are being oppressed, right? In this case, mm -hmm. um, racial minorities, right? Mm -hmm. So what tends to happen, I've noticed in conversations, um, very heated ones at that, is where I, I will be sitting there and observing the conversations, and most of them are on social media, mm -hmm. um, where when we said like, you know, how you guys were talking about how sometimes there will be not just black people, but just minorities in general, who they will see a disagreement, valid disagreements, um, not on their experiences, but on other things mm -hmm. as a form of attack. Mm -hmm. Right. And that falls into that pattern of social Marxism, because what they're thinking in their mind is, I'm the oppressed one here there and you are the oppressor, mm -hmm. i.e. you are the white person. Right. Um, therefore, everything and anything that you do or say regarding anything that has to do to me is an oppressive action. Right. <clears throat> and with that mindset comes, of course, mob mentalities where people walk in and they're just like, yeah, I agree. Like they're they're oppressing us and we're clearly the ones here being attacked. And then, unfortunately, what ends up happening is that kind of creates the same thing on the other side, because now they're thinking, well, they're calling us oppressors, but we're not doing anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We're not doing anything. So it kind of creates that sense of oppressiveness on the other side as well. Mm -hmm. And therefore, nobody's going to be having a conversation because now they're both thinking you are attacking me because you thought that I was attacking you. And then it just creates this whole jumbled mess. If it wasn't one darn thing, it was another. But when they couldn't think of nothing else to wrangle over, the flat-footed people started a shooting at the buck-toothed people. And the vegetarians began to fight the meat-eating people. And you couldn't make head or tail of it. Yeah, right. it just kind of There's... makes the world black and white. Ironically. Exactly. Like, and pun is very intended there. Unintended. <laughs> you know? Like, no, that... because it's just there's no sense of complexity mm -hmm. and and that is what humanity is regardless of what our, our skin color looks or doesn't look like they like heck even when it comes to people who are like very very dark and everything like that at this point in history there's no one who has like only one genetic pool within yeah. their body like mm -hmm. they, at this point in history our very dna is extremely complex yeah right um, and it's it's sad and frustrating to me that when it comes to conversations about race, that that same complexity isn't there. Right. Or it doesn't seem to be on the wider scale. Right. You'll, you'll have groups of people, for example, us who are able to talk about it um, as the complex issue that it is. But for the most part, from what I've seen in general, and this is why I think um, talking about race has become so hard is because um whether people realize it or not the overwhelming majority of people are turning it into a very black and white sure. issue mm -hmm. right when, yeah. when it's it's not that simple it never really has been perhaps maybe at the time during like the transatlantic slave trade mm -hmm. um or or when plantations were still a thing and everything like that yes it absolutely was a black and white issue because there was clearly right and wrong going on there mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but in this day and age where there is no more slavery and now we we do live in a society where generally speaking 
uh, minority groups and people with darker skin are able to commingle with others, right? And are able to express their opinions without getting in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. At least most of the time. Um, it's vastly more complex than simply we are the oppressed, they are the oppressors, mm -hmm. therefore that's how all of our conversations need to be shaped. That's no longer true. Mm -hmm. And I think, but I think that that mindset that it is still true is one of the reasons why mm -hmm. talking about race is so difficult because it's like good versus bad. And it's like, no, that's, <laughs> you I know, make room for nuance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Most of life is never as simple as humans want it to be. It's yeah. complex and messy. And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm hearing you say this and, one of the things that that strikes me is um, that I think is called for in any relationship, whether it's race relations, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, is empathy, right? It's yeah. trying to connect with the experience of another person. And and Zahari, you and I have talked publicly about our, our mental health issues. Yeah. And so this is something I can speak on. So I'm not going to speak on race because that's not something I have as much experience of being a minority. I don't, but I, I can speak on mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And there are two different ways that people speak with me about it, that one's helpful, one isn't. Mm -hmm. The first way, which I see a lot of people doing in racial circles is, oh, actually there's a few things, is one, when people come to me and talk about mental health, they say, oh, it's not that big a deal, just ignore it, um, mm. come on, just be strong. And so they totally just dismiss the reality of my experience to pain. And that's not helpful at all. And I do see a lot of people doing that mm -hmm. to ethnic minorities. As in, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that your dad got kicked out of a bank, yeah. we don't know, but presumably because he's a large black man, is insane to me. I've never, I've never, my dad's never been kicked out of a bank. Uh, right. And and if he was, it would never be for the color of his skin. And right. so to assume that that's not a big deal um, is, and just be like, ah, eh, it's not that big a deal, you know, just kind of ignore it. That's something I've seen people do with my mental illness. That doesn't help, right? And that right. Made, I immediately go, oh, well, they're not someone I can trust. They don't even take my experience seriously. Mm -hmm. Number two is this thing that people do that I find extremely unhelpful too, which is, Oh, you have um, severe OCD? I like my pencil straight. I have OCD too. No, no, no. That's not the same thing. You've never <laughs> contemplated suicide because you can't stop the obsession right. in your mind because your mm -hmm. pencils weren't straight. That's not helpful either for you to, and, and I think very often they're actually trying to be kind. And that's, you know, yeah. and it is important. They're trying to say, oh yeah, I get obsessive too. Or, oh, you have depression? I've been sad before too. And you go, no, this mm -hmm. is a different thing. And so my, my immediate reaction is, oh, this person will not understand um, and doesn't empathize with my experience. Mm -hmm. um, they're kind of trying to make it about them. Yes. Or what? It, it's not a trustworthy, you know, environment because they're, they're not taking my pain seriously. They're just kind of saying, oh yeah, I have that too. And I've seen this happen in racial circles too, where it's like, well, you've had this experience. I can totally understand what it's like to be, right. you know, followed around a store or mm -hmm. be scared of when you see police, uh, police and walking down the street. And they, and they totally just, um, it's almost an insertion of themselves. Yeah, I've experienced that too. No, you haven't. But the third way that I find is really helpful when people are talking to them about my mental illness is, is empathy, is, mm -hmm. wow, that sounds really difficult. Mm -hmm. And them actually articulating, I don't totally understand that. And mm -hmm. I have not experienced that. That's very healing for me to help, to have other people mm -hmm. acknowledge that this is something that they yeah. haven't and I have experienced. And for them to say, I've never experienced that, but... I can understand as a human, 
because I'm a human being, how painful and difficult that would be. That is a helpful place for yep. me to be. Yeah. And so I see a lot of people not fit into that third category when speaking about race. They either dismiss mm-hmm. or they try to lighten and say, oh yeah, we all experience that rather than what, I, what I've tried to do. And, and I want to hear from you and Nathan about if, if this is something that you see as helpful. What I try to do is say, no, I, I, I've never experienced being a Black person in America. And mm-hmm. uh, even now, even after the transatlantic slave movement and the, and the plantations, even now there is still remnants and things that are mm-hmm. really difficult and hard. I've never experienced that. I've never had right. my dad kicked out of a bank. But as a human, I can understand how painful and difficult that might be. I'll never understand it in a lived sense, but I can understand Mm -hmm. because I am a human endowed with empathy. And so I can assess that empathy and say, I don't understand it totally, but I can understand why it would be painful. Is that maybe a way that we ought to start thinking about approaching, not even just race, but since we're talking about race, race and things that people go through and live through, um, is that, is, is there any, does that, does that connect with either of you? Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, it's like, it's empathize with the person, empathize, empathize with the person, but don't make it about you. Where it's like, yeah. if you're talking about like your first, the first two bad options that you're talking about, it's either too many boundaries between you and the other person where it's like, oh, I never experienced this thing. So it must not exist. And like, you're just lying to me. Or, yeah. or number two, it's, there are no boundaries between you. So you think, oh, well, I'm obviously I'm experiencing what you're experiencing because of this small anecdotal thing that doesn't compare at all. So, but like yeah. the more healthy way you do it is have a boundary between you, but like have like a little window in that boundary. So like you can say hi to them being like, oh yeah, I see, like, I see what's going on. I don't understand if I can yeah. empathize to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I 100% agree with all of that, Nathan, actually, because um, I, that sense of empathy I've seen is also what I've noticed really tears down that that social Marxism I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. because what happens is people develop that mindset as a defense mechanism, yeah. yes. right? Because in their mind, they're just like, well... I feel insecure about the fact that I've been through this experience and I've had so many people invalidate that experience. Therefore, I kind of have to put myself in this category in which I am like, okay, clearly I'm being oppressed because no one believes me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that the key to breaking down that, that barrier, right. I, I I'm going to say barrier instead of boundary because a boundary is, is different and a boundary is good. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. a barrier is a bit more defensive. Right. Yeah. What's key to bringing down that that barrier, that shield is that empathy. And I've even noticed that in my own life. Like I've always been rather careful to not put myself in the category of, of oppressed uh, per se, but when there's no sense of that empathy there. And of course, as someone who has mental illness, I, I completely empathize as well with what was said about um, how people approach mental illness and everything like that, right? Whenever empathy was brought into the equation, that sense of defensiveness on either side mm. wasn't mm. there, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, on, on my end, as the person who has experienced, um, you know, racial discrimination, um, I wasn't sitting there bracing myself in the event that they yeah. either um downplay my experience or just outright say that it 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 never happened or it wasn't as bad as i made it out to be right and then on on the other hand i was able to have empathy towards them as somebody who didn't have that lived 
experience. I wasn't sitting there saying, oh my gosh, they don't understand. Right. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there thinking they don't understand, but they're trying. Yes. (laughs) You know, and that would, and that's very, very valuable when it comes to these types of conversations about whether it's mental illness or in this case, race, um, being able to sit there and look at that other person who might not understand it from a lived experience, but it's a beautiful thing when that empathy, like true empathy, um, not I'm going to insert myself here because I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, But when true empathy really enters the picture, it does something to the conversation that I I can't explain. Yeah. Um, Uh, Like when you're validated, it's just very empowering and that's very contagious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it just bounces back and forth. Like, because you feel empowered because th- this person who might not understand is, is at least acknowledging they don't understand, but they're willing to listen. And then you sit there and you you tell them like, oh my gosh, I, I really appreciate it. And then they're empowered and encouraged to engage in those conversations more. Like, mm-hmm. So So it's a beautiful thing what empathy can really do. Um, between two people or more when it comes to hard conversations like these. Yes. And I think these conversations are hard because like, it's just natural human instinct to like, want to have these, uh, want to just assume life is black and white. We want to assume Mm -hmm. these things are simple because it's easier for us to think that way. Kind of like, kind of like what you said before about how we need fear because it helps us see the tiger in the, in the cave where it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we want to assume these people are all one thing or are all this one stereotype or this one tire blanket statement because it makes it easier for us to process life. And when we feel like we understand life, we feel more secure. And so, but these things, but like making room for complexity is very scary because it acknowledges, oh, life is much more complex than that. And I don't know, my survival instincts can process that. And that's mm-hmm. understandable, but like we, it's a very human, very natural. But I feel like the whole point is making us realize our instincts aren't inherently bad, but we need to realize that our life isn't completely defined by our instincts. There is more to mm-hmm. that. And I feel like that's a lot mm-hmm. of like what Jesus said in his ministry. It was like, he came to let us know our instincts aren't bad, but he wants us to not be enslaved by them, that there's more mm-hmm. to life than that. He wants mm-hmm. you to realize, fear not, for I am with you. And I feel like that's exactly what happens when two people are empathizing and validating with each other. They realize, oh, I'm not alone in my fear. This person's mm-hmm. with me. So I don't need to rely on my survival instincts. I can see this person mm-hmm. the same way they see me. Yeah. And I can see life a little bit more bigger now. I can see the colors mm-hmm. in life as, as opposed to just black and white. Right. That's really, really cool. So like, I mean, there's a few things I'm hearing here that I think are really interesting. Um, one is, of course, you know, the is empathy. Being able to say mm-hmm. like, okay, I can see this person as a young human being, empathize with their experience and validate their experience empathy and ivory <laughs> together in perfect harmony side by side on the piano keyboard oh why don't we so it better be a cutaway right here nathan i'm way ahead of you <laughs> You're good? I'm good? I'm good? All right, cool. <laughs> I'm done. We can only afford three lines. Yeah, three lines. I have to get three more sentences in and then we get another song record. But, um, you know, so is, is you know, validating the other person as a human being. So, like, that shows them that they're being appreciated and their experience is not being dismissed. Um, and secondly, you know, I'm seeing, like, it takes a certain degree of courage because to enter a conversation about race or about any topic, you have to be able to say, okay, in this situation where I might be attacked, like Mm -hmm. I have to sort of be willing to enter into that, Mm -hmm. um, that situation, 
you know, again, and whether or not you're someone who's, you know, an ethnic majority or an ethnic minority, you know, a lot of the, and I remember you've, Zatori, you've talked about this sort of before, is that so much of this conversation is political. And one of the things about politics is politics is all about where the guns are pointing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so because of that, it's like anything I say or anything the other person says is potentially a trigger on a gun, you know, in, a, mm-hmm. in an abstract sense. And so being able to actually have the courage to say, I'm going to enter this conversation, even if somebody else is going to treat me like I'm either, you know, oppressor or oppressed mm-hmm. and take that opportunity and say that that's okay for them to think that of me. I still want to have this conversation because I want to actually build a bridge. I want to, because this relationship is more important than this one issue. Um, mm-hmm. Actually having a willingness to be called that and even have it in a willingness to be for that to be true and for that to be revealed yeah. to you. Opportunity for learning and growth. Yes. And because mm-hmm. and in one of the things about Christian theology is that uh, is, you know, theoretically the idea that just because you have sin within you, it doesn't mm-hmm. invalidate you as a human being or make mm-hmm. you a less worthy human being. Amen. So brother. having the courage to actually say, maybe I do have some, you know, um, you know, racial stereotypes that mm-hmm. I need to have you know, uh, need to have lifted from me. That doesn't mean that I'm a not, not valuable human being and don't actually have something to contribute to this conversation anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Nathan, you, I really liked you pointed out earlier that a lot of the fear that comes from having these conversations is rooted in insecurity. Yeah. And, you know, part of the insecurity can be, oh, I don't want to get canceled by my job or my friend group. That's part of it. Um, but part of it, as Joseph, you kind of a melding two of your thoughts here, is that the insecurity can also come from I don't want to have to be corrected for how yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't want to have to grow. And yeah. so insecurity can get in the way of you actually expressing and talking. And I do say I think it's probably most valuable within friendships and relationships, yeah. not on Twitter. I think that's yeah. a really toxic place to try to have these conversations. Yeah. But I have friends of color with whom I can talk to and I say what I think and they feel the freedom to be like, no, that's wrong. That's mm-hmm. not yeah. And because, and if I allow my insecurity down, I can actually grow and my mm-hmm. view can yeah. grow and my perspective can grow rather than being insecure, insecurely holding on to this is how I see the world and this is what I think. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's insecurity is at the bottom of a lot of this for multiple reasons. I understand not yeah. wanting to do your job or getting canceled, all that, of course, but mm-hmm. also maybe you should open up and say what you think to your to your friends who, who you can mm-hmm. trust because they might actually be able to share something with you and show where you're wrong. And so right. you can actually grow. Don't let insecurity mm-hmm. get in the way of your growth. We all need to course correct. Now, I, I yes. want to yeah. ask you, particularly Nathan and Zahori, you know, if, how do, would you want, like say, if somebody, again, like one of your, your, one of your like white friends has something that they disagree with you on, on the topic mm-hmm. of race, you know, obviously it's in the context of friendship, as we talked about, it's in this context of empathy. How would you want them to do that in a way mm-hmm. that you feel respected and not invalidated um, at, you know, uh, in your experiences as a person? What would that look like? And with that, I'm just going to add to your yeah. question. And with that, not even disagreement, let's say just a really touchy question. Yeah. Like, like a question yeah. that is loaded politically and socially, but they, but you know, they want to ask it because they're curious, but with goodwill, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, they're, they're, they love you. There's uh, you know, mutual friendship here. How will you go about asking these questions or making these statements or those kind of things? Mm-hmm. I think for me, it all, this all boils down to how much they know me and how much they actually acknowledge, like prove that they know me. 
by how mm-hmm. they approach me. Where it's like, I'm totally fine. They have a different opinion on things, especially about race. Like I have no qualms against that. I guess I just get more of, of annoyed or disappointed where it's like they assume their feelings on race or politics or whatever are my feelings as well. Or just, or they just kind of assume, mm-hmm. oh, you're wrong for thinking this, Nathan. Or like, you're a black person. Why don't you think this way or think more like this? Or like, mm-hmm. why don't you have opinions on this matter or whatever? Or like, they, or like the first thing they do is approach me being like, Oh, hey, so like this happened or George George Floyd happened. Do you have any strong opinions? And I'm like, I'm just a dude who likes anime and video games. Do you think I have any strong opinions on this? Haven't we known each other for years? Why are you talking about me this to me now? Tokenism almost. Yes. Right. You're their mm-hmm. black friend, so you must have strong thoughts or feelings or think this particular way. Yes, yes. And, and like mm-hmm. exactly. And anecdotally it just makes me think back to like the height of quarantine and like George Floyd just happened. And like I wasn't keeping an eye on politics at the time because I don't really do that in general. But like at the quarantine, I like everyone else is like dealing with my own inner demons, anxieties, because we we're all shut in for a while. And then a white friend of man, a white friend of mine and his wife texted me being like, Hey, randomly just texted me being like, Hey, are you okay? And at first I thought, oh wow, they're actually asking how I'm doing on a personal level. So I'm like, yeah, let me share about them, like what's going on, things like that. And then I found out a few days later, oh, George Floyd happened. Oh, a lot of white friends were asking their black friends how they felt. Oh, my white friends just did that to me. Oh, I, I have very mixed feelings about that. I'm so disappointed right now. They cared so about- So you, you were kind of reduced to only your skin color and sometimes in yeah. situations like this. Yeah. You're not Nathan who loves it. because. Because I got to know you on We Like Movies and Video Games, mm-hmm. and, and there's so much more to you in talking and theology yes. and all these things. But when you're reduced to just, you're a Black guy, so you must have these thoughts on these. What That's interesting. That's really mm-hmm. good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it, th- that's really interesting how um, how... It's just like, like, it's just so, it's so interesting how even our, I guess that goes back to not reducing... Um, black people to like you know like like tokenism tokenism is yeah, what you yeah. mentioned yeah right uh because um i know that like w- when when the whole george floyd thing happened um that w- when my when my friends asked me how i was doing i didn't know how to feel <laughs> because mm. on the one hand i was like oh thank you <laughs> right right mm-hmm. uh because they know that i i i honestly do get concerned about my dad Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it would ever happen to him. Right. Um, so uh, when when they asked me, like, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, and what are your thoughts? Part of me was like, oh, my gosh, I really appreciate that you're asking. Right. Uh, and then there was another part of me that was just like, but why are you asking? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a very complicated relationship, even within just within ourselves as black people, because we're just here like, OK, Um yeah, I don't know how to feel, but yep. uh, and and that just that that just shows you again the the deep complexity of this type of topic because you know even even as black people we have our own things that we um, that we wrestle with in our own minds about how we feel like we should approach this topic and whatnot. But mm. I think to answer your question more directly on um, how. I'd like to be approached or how I think that what I think would be appropriate in terms of asking questions or even disagreeing. Um, I know um, that I don't, I don't want to. um, Okay. I'm going to be as vague as possible. We're watching a battle happen. Yeah. I'm going to be as vague as possible. Um, So me and 
a loved one of mine. <laughs> um, I, uh, I remember that there were a few times where I felt like he was being kind of insensitive towards certain aspects of, um, of the fact that, that I'm a racial minority because he, he would make like things that he didn't really realize were that things that I, that he didn't realize were kind of hurtful to me. Right. Like for example, sometimes he would make like little offhanded comments on like how my family prepared our food. Cause we don't have recipes and stuff like that. And how he, he thought it would, how he thought it was weird and silly and stuff like that. And, and that really kind of struck a chord with me because, um, growing up, uh, when I heard, oh, that's weird about like my, my culture and everything like that. Mm. Um, it wasn't meant as a, oh, that's unusual. It was literally meant as an insult. Right. Mm-hmm. So when he said that immediately, my brain went to, oh no, this is happening again. Right. Mm. And so I confronted him about it. And I said, when you, when you say this, this stuff, it makes me feel as though you're downplaying my culture and and my race. And like you, if, feel like you should know that that's um that's not okay (laughs) right and then the way that he approached the disagreement was um he said it it was you you know when people teach you to to disagree they say like not to point blame at the other person not to point your fingers but to say well when this happens it makes me feel this way right Mm -hmm. i think when he directed his disagreement toward himself instead of at me it was easier for us to have that conversation Mm. about Mm. about his disagreement it was easier for us to address it it would have been different if he said well you like like you people <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you people are always so sensitive about the about this kind of thing i didn't mean it like that you should know that we've been like we've known each other for how long whatever right yeah. instead of doing that which i've just noticed happens a lot and it doesn't help that on social media people are, are accusatory anyway mm-hmm. yeah. right instead of pointing at me and basically making me the problem mm-hmm. right based on because you know, he acknowledged that I had painful experiences that influenced the way that I interpreted what he said, right? Instead, he was like, well, what I, what what I meant to say was this, right? I understand that you probably interpreted it this way, but that's not what I meant. And I kind of disagree with the way that you, you approached it and everything like that, right? Mm. So I, I found that when he was able to kind of see that it wasn't necessarily a problem with him or a problem with me it was just a problem with the situation in itself and how it was perceived right mm-hmm. that made it easier like he made it very he put it on very neutral ground if i can put mm-hmm. it that way mm-hmm. like he was able to not make it um even though it was a deeply personal issue right he was able to make the disagreement in itself not inherently personal so he wasn't like attacking himself or me right it was more that he was looking at the situation itself and was like okay clearly we're disagreeing about this thing that i acknowledge is painful for you but it's also painful for me because you're clearly upset with me (laughs) so and i don't want you to be upset with me because i love you so i want to put this on a neutral ground and say i disagree because that's not how i meant it although i acknowledge that 
I, I know I know why you interpreted it this way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I just want to put it out there that I disagree and, and I, I want to know if we can we can talk about that, right? Yeah. So I think that really making it open-ended and neutral like that was very helpful in not making it uh, essentially like turning it into like what it is on social media with us fighting, right. going back and forth, you know? So I, I'm not sure if that makes sense. No, but. 100%. No, it, yeah. it sounds like a lot of what we're saying is so it's interesting that it's, it, it, this is so difficult around race is that healthy communication that we're taught in therapy, that we're taught since we're kids, try to understand what the other person is saying, assume, you know, create good relationships, be a trustworthy person, love the other person, give empathy to the other person. A lot of maybe approaching this is just using basic human, healthy, psychological, therapeutic, yeah. relational things. Yeah. And this, and I'm not, again, I don't want to dilute this. I know it's, it's, no. it's, it's nuanced and difficult, uh, especially politically and socially, but a lot of this sounds like, especially interpersonally, relationships be it between a man and a wife or a black person and a white person will thrive based upon the health of the communication why don't you talk to each other just give it a try why don't you talk about what happened i know you're trying to avoid it but i don't know why essentially so it sounds like really what we ought to do is try to be more healthy communicators and that it am I am I wrong? It sounds like we need no. more healthy communication. Yeah. No, and I don't helps, think you're wrong at all. <laughs> yeah, and it helps when you just don't go into life assuming that everyone is your enemy, which again is very understandable human instinct, survival mode instinct. And like, yeah. don't, totally yeah. don't blame you for thinking like that. But like, life becomes so much more easier to navigate through when you learn to get past that instinct to try to like dilute that instinct a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Guys, we just talked about race for like an hour, and we're all still friends. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it. <laughs> well, we've solved it. Woo! Oh, can I we'll go let everyone know? Any, anybody, um, any, any final thoughts to wrap us up before we go move on to blessings and curses? Well, I think that um, my final thought is this quote that I, it, it's so Instagrammy, but it's so true. Um, when it comes to marriage, I, I heard this from my, um, Ooh, from my pastor. Go, he go. said, <laughs> he said to he said I think he was doing a sermon on marriage and one thing that he said that really has stuck with me ever since he said that he must have said this when I was like 15 he said when it comes to me and my spouse it's not me versus her it's me and her versus the problem yes mm. and I, I think that is ultimately what we need to acknowledge when it comes to issues concerning race because again like if we were back in, in the times of still the, like the transatlantic slave trade and everything like that, obviously the problem is the racist systems that are in place, right? Like, and, and the people, of course, because the overwhelming majority of them were Europeans and doing these oppressive things. But in this day and age, now that we, we may not be completely and utterly equal, but I mean, it's, we're, we're much farther than we were before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we are at a place in which we can develop good relationships with each other, regardless of our skin color. I think that's a philosophy that we ought to really adopt is that it's not you versus me. It's not um, a white individual versus a racial minority. It's not male versus female or whatever. It's it's you and me versus 
the problem. And the problem at its core in this case is fundamentally from a Christian perspective, it's sin. Sin is the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we are sinners and we are the ones who tend to instigate those problems, right? (laughs) But if we treat each other like we're the problem, nothing's going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. That's not going to help, right? There is an actual enemy, but it's not you and me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, love that. That's fantastic. Well, thank Amen. you so much. This is uh, this is fantastic. And with that, we will move on to our blesses and curses segment. Yay. We'll take a work of <laughs> art, resource, media, or whatever, and we bless it, say recommend it to you, or we curse it to tell you to stay away from it. Um, so, uh, Zohori, would you like to go first? Uh, sure, actually. Um, so I would like to first bless. To kill a mockingjay. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Is it to kill a mockingbird or mockingjay? I'm pretty sure. A mockingbird. Mockingbird. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to bless to kill a mockingbird. And I am partially doing this because I genuinely love the book, but I'm also partially doing it out of spite. Because um, (laughs) that's the best. That's a good reason to do most things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The the reason why I'm blessing it out of spite, I will start with that, is because I have seen so many especially black people criticize that book and they're like, well, it's, it's, it was written by a white woman trying to talk about the black experience. And it's like, no, it's not. It was written by a white woman about a white child viewing the racism in her time. Right. Mm -hmm. And talking about how she was grappling with it because as a person who was in a more of a position of privilege at the time when the book was written, right. That wasn't easy to do. Right. And I'm pretty sure she got in trouble for it as well um, and everything. So I think it's a beautiful book because it it goes into how hard and how complicated it can really be for a a Caucasian individual to witness racism and to really wrestle with that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I don't like when people say, oh, it's an attempt to to look to commentate on the black experience because it's not right it's it's a book about a white child watching her white father defend a black man when everybody is against that black man right Mm -hmm. and i think it's just a beautiful book about the complexity that is really grappling with those thoughts as a person who's in a more of a position of privilege right and i i just think that the book handled it beautifully Right. Mm. Because um, we, we see the way that um, the main character, how she watches her dad defend this man only to, to lose. Right. Yeah. And then she comes to that conclusion like this is wrong. Right. After all the wrestling through the book, she comes to that conclusion. This is wrong. And then asks herself, what can I do as I get older to to fix this problem and everything? So I think it's a wonderful book that really actually confronts um racism in a beautiful way and i and i and it's sad that people have reduced it to an attempt at whitewashing because it's really not it's really Mm, not an attempt at whitewashing whatsoever i think it's a lovely book um and in terms of curses i can't really think of any that's okay. Um, just because I, like, I mean, the, the, the easiest curse would be maybe like old Western movies where like, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the white guys are the good guys. And then the natives were the bad guys, and, like, you know, just that kind of thing. That's the only thing I can think of, but in terms of like a specific movie or what, or piece of media, I can't think of anything. So that's fair. That's yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Curses are hard for this one. Yeah. 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 I curse the entire Western genre. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's old fashioned stage. 
stereotypes stereotypes are a good thing to curse i think yeah yes great um nathan uh let's see okay i've got two blessings actually but i'll try to make them quick uh let's see so my first bless this might be a bit of a deep cut for our audience so i'm going to do it anyway this is a video game called tales of arise and for any of you video, video game nerds out there, it's part of the franchise of the Tales franchise, this latest game in the series. And this game, the main plot of the game basically involves everything we literally just talked about. So the basic premise is there are these two planets that coexist with each other, but for 3,000 years, one planet has conquered and slayed this other planet. And so basically the main cast of this game, the, your main party of, of motley crew of characters is rising up in response to this to try like free the one planet that's in, enslaved and like, fix everything and it goes and it going into the game first you think it's kind of like it kind of gives off this pressure impression of social marxism like you're talking about Zahori, where it's like oh okay this one planet is a bad guy planet this other planet that we're trying to free is a good pie planet so everybody from this one race is bad while everyone from this other race is good blah 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 but as time goes on the game makes it clear oh no it's a lot more nuanced than that and it helps that that in it helps in the fact that the main party of characters that you control they each they uh it's comprised of people from both planets it's not just like people from mm. one planet so like you see a microcosm of the tension between both planets within the tension of these main cast of characters as they try to talk about their experiences with each other their biases with each other their fear the fears their trauma and as they learn to talk to each other and learn to fight along each other fight alongside each other they start to understand oh this is a lot more complicated than i thought it was i know this person i can trust them and even though they're different from me and even though they're part of a race of people that hurt me I can trust them and I can acknowledge them and I can hear them out and realize they've got it bad too. And like the real villain of the story here isn't so much either one player or the other, but this select group of like evil forces that want to try to pit these plants against each other for their own selfish game. Mm. And so like, it's really fascinating just to play through this because like you really have more of an emotional stake in this playing it out as, main, as you're controlling these characters. So that's my first bless. And my second bless is the Teen Titans show from back in the day, specifically yeah, the episode called specifically Titans. the episode called Troc, which again is never episode that deals with this, where the main character where the Teen Titans meet this guy named uh Val Yor, I think, yeah. who's basically kind of like, yeah, please fill in any blanks that I might forget, <laughs> Joe. But like he's basically like um a swashbuckling Superman, where like he's got the yeah. skills, he's got like the teaching ability, he's got the leadership. The giant ability. jaw. Yes, yes, like everyone <laughs> the team loves him, like he like strikes a chord with everyone. But then he meets Starfire, the resident alien of the team, and it's, clear, and it's established right away that he does not like her. He's racist towards her. And he starts calling mm -hmm. her this racist word called truck. And Cyborg, the resident black guy of the team, knows this, like, that um, Valior is calling Starfire this name. And first it's like, hey, what is this name he's calling you? And she says, it's nothing. And so like, Star and so Cyborg, misunderstanding, later on calls her truck. And she's like, no, 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 don't you dare call me that word. Don't mm -hmm. you do that. And he's like, I thought this word meant nothing. And it's like, no, it literally means nothing. He's mm. calling me nothing. He thinks nothing of me. And it hurts me that you're that you're calling me this. And so, like, and the great thing about this conversation he and Starfire have is like ha has is that in this moment, Cyborg could have like what we talk about, either double down on his ignorance or like step back and withdraw, like because he's like see, suddenly seen as a racist at the moment. But instead, mm. in this moment, he empathizes with her and mm. it's like, oh, I see what you're saying now. I'm listening out to your pain. And now I understand the context for this. And now let me also empathize with you by telling you, I know what it's like to be judged by uh, by my appearance because mm. after all i am part robot he says yeah and so like it's a, it's a really great moment and like it gets a great microcosm of like what conversations between different people should look like mm. you have any curses good uh this one might be a stretch but i'm going to call uh curse um 
X-Men 3, The Last Stand. <laughs> Not even so much for like <laughs> purposes, but mostly just because it's a bad movie. So like, yes, <laughs> the plot could have been fixed if like the if the mutants and humans talk to each other a little bit better, yes, but I'm mostly just cursing it because it's a bad movie. It's it's it att- attempts to be like meaningful and deep yes. while actually being stupid. Yes. <laughs> so that is fair. It's very stupid. Yeah, yes, I have a on. curse. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I thought of one. Um the game Detroit Become Human. Yes. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you mentioned the game with the plants and you were just like, oh yeah, there's this one plant. I was like, oh, I immediately remembered. I cannot even begin to tell you yes. how much I hate that game. Like, yep. like don't get me wrong. I, I like choose your own adventure games and everything like that. But the the social and racial commentary of that one drove me absolutely insane because it fell for that social Marxist stuff that I was complaining about earlier. And not only that, like, so I I know that, so, so there's three characters, there's Connor, there's Marcus and there's um, Kara. And um, I'm sorry for people who don't like spoilers, but even though each of them, has some sort of significant relationship with the human because the, the humans are clearly the like the oppressive yeah. majority and then the androids are the oppressed minority so that's very clearly established that was the first reason i don't like it but the other mm-hmm. reason is because the the game at times it's like oh humans and androids can live in peace and then it just destroys that almost immediately after mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. with marcus um your so so you can have this relationship with an old man that you're taking care of and depending on what decisions you make the old man either unfortunately has a heart attack and dies or he stays alive right mm-hmm. but even then the relationship is never seen as significant enough for the rest of the story especially for a game that's like oh humans and androids can live in peace and it's like then why don't you show me that instead of making yeah. it again throughout Italistic. the entire story that humans yeah. are clearly the bad guys and androids are clearly uh, the good guys, right? Yeah. Or even with um, the other character, uh, his name is Connor. And yes, he develops a, a relationship with the police lieutenant, but even then every other human relationship, gone. Like there's nothing there. Yeah. And then the one that gets me so upset is with Kara. She she helps this little girl who you think is a human. And then it's revealed at the end of the story that she's an android. And I'm like, again, you guys are pushing that idea that android good, human bad. What a twist. Right? Therefore, like this is clearly a good social commentary on what's going on. And it's very obvious because of the way that they use slave slavery, like the the language of slavery, that Mm. they're talking about white people and black people. It's blatantly obvious, right? They can't be bothered to actually have black people portrayed. Exactly, yeah. And so, like, and oh oh my gosh, like, that, it's just, it's such a black and white and very preachy game um, that that tries to commentate on it. And I can't stand it like so i i vehemently curse with every dark piece of energy whatever's in here i don't know how that works logically i have to read my bible more and figure that but anyway everything i can is in the name of jesus bye i hate that game so much. that's my favorite curse we've ever had on it's i <laughs> love those kind of games i love those kind of games i, I yeah. wait for them and i had the exact same feeling it just felt so fatalistic no there's no yeah. hope everyone's yeah. gonna always hate each other yeah uh, even yeah. if, even if you get the good ending, even if yep. you get the good wow. ending, same Jeez. thing. Just- it's like portal all over again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nathan, how about you? 
okay, uh, I'm going really safe today. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, th this also good uh, to go safe sometimes because we remember why things are so um, yeah. legendary. And so I have been trying to read more poetry of late. Um, it's not something that necessarily comes naturally to me to read poetry, but I, but I think there's a lot of value in it. And I've been reading uh, Maya Angelou for the very first time. I know I'm late to the fun, um, okay. but it's a collection of poetry called And Still I Rise. And one, just uh, on a on a writer scale, uh, the prose is beautiful. The language, the imagery is just it's just beautiful. No wonder she's um, considered one of the greats. And what what it does for me is it offers me because we're talking about this empathy thing where you can empathize without ever you know, with, with still acknowledging you haven't experienced and her poetry gives me an insight, a welcoming insight. She wants she her words are welcoming and beautiful, but a welcoming insight into what it was like her experience um, in the world as a black woman. And so I, I just think it's a, a beautiful book. And her poetry is very obvious why it shows me very obviously why um, she's considered one of the great. So I encourage you to pick up. It's a short, short collection of poetry, but it's really worthwhile if you get a chance. So I'm blessing Maya Angelou's book of poetry, which is about the most basic bless you can do, but there's a reason why it's so popular. And there's a reason I, it's why. basic. Is because <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and as, yeah, exactly. Uh, and basic is foundation, right? That's what the mm -hmm. word is. So there's a reason this book is so foundational or her poetry is so foundational. Yeah, basic. Yeah, I noticed. Um, and I curse, I, I curse racism. Racism is really <laughs> hot bad, takes. everyone. Good curse, good curse. And, uh, hot it, takes here. <laughs> yeah, hot takes. Racism, bad, I curse it. So I, I know that's going to get us a lot of controversial uh, response, yes. but. Uh, <laughs> okay, so. Bad. That's good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm also uh, on, on that train. Um, so I'm going to, I'll try to be quick because I have a couple of uh, blessing curses. Um, thank you everybody who stuck with us this long. This has been a lot of fun conversation. <laughs> um, so I'm going to bless first a book uh, by a professor of mine, Dr. Anthony Bradley. Um, he wrote a book, Why Black Lives Matter. And mm. the book is a collection of essays from um, black theologians and people who, because in Dr. Anthony Bradley's kind of words, the, the newer, you know, some of the newer movements of uh, civil rights movements um, have left religion sort of out of the equation mm -hmm. in the conversation. And so he wanted to bring in religious black voices into what, what does racial flourishing for everyone look like in the 21st century? Mm -hmm. How do we address mm -hmm. the problems? How do we ask those questions? And that was a, a book for me that was really helpful to get insights into life experiences that I didn't have, but was also helping me wrestle with these problems in a way that was about like what we have in common, which like for me is, you know, our faith and our, you know, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And so I, wanna, I read that recently. So I want to bless that. Also, if you want to follow, you know, a couple of people on Twitter who actually have like good things to say about these challenging, but also good things. Dr. Anthony Bradley is one. George Yancey is another. He wrote a book called Beyond Racial Division, which I have not read, but Tim Keller's recommended it and other things. But I have read his tweets and some of the articles he shared. And so he's been really helpful for me in that regard. So, um, so that then I'm going to bless uh, The Big Sick, which mm -hmm. is a movie which is amazing oh. by uh, Kamel Nanjiani. It's uh, about his, how he met his wife and how his, his experience as a, you know, Pakistani Muslim and, you know, marrying a white girl. And the, what that movie was actually incredibly helpful for me in terms of resonating with another person's experience because they show how he interacts with the world and things like, you know, he has an argument with his brother and then two white people look over and he says, 
like, don't worry, we hate terrorists, you know, <laughs> things like that. And just in those ways, I'm like, oh, wow, what it's like to have to like go through life, like having that over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just in very simple ways, it was really helpful for me for in terms of learning to empathize. Mm-hmm. Um, so I very much, and again, it's about people learning to understand each other because he has to learn to understand his, the person who's become his wife and she has to learn to understand him in very healthy ways and then their family. So it's really just funny and sweet too as such well. Such a good, good fun, movie. fun movie. You will enjoy the heck out of it. Um, then I'm going to curse. Okay. This is the, 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 the thing that's going to get me canceled or something gets me <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to curse the movie get out. Oh, I, went through oh, it. I know you're scared to go through oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Yes. It's a great horror film. There's a mm. lot of good things about it. And I think the fact that Jordan Peele has been able to use his status to be able to get more representation for the Black community in movies is a fantastic thing. But the movie does two things that we said today are the problem, which is one, it makes it the line at the end is you can't trust white people. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's the line Did at the I end. Did I miss that? It's like you know you never go over to meet a girl, the white girl's family. Like is the was the phrase um, by the by the best friend. And then also the thing they do is they say if you're a black person who disagrees with this perspective on race, you're not really black. You're secretly a white person in a black body. Mm. <laughs> and mm. that I think to 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 dismiss other black people's experiences and to create that toxic, you know, us versus them mentality is some of the big toxic things about racial discourse in this country. And I, I especially with the whole, hey, if you're a black person who disagrees with me, you're not actually black. Yeah. Me, that's hard to get over because mm. what I celebrate about the movie is him getting to share his experiences as yeah. a, but he's trying to close out other people's experience Yikes. within that. So that's why I have to curse, get out, wow. um, send the hate mail. I, <laughs> I, I, to I, Joseph, not me. To Joseph, not, not me. me. Yeah. Okay. I like the movie. Now I'm, I'm a good person. Now I'm glad I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and if nothing else, Joseph, at least you'll still always have one black friend who's got you stuck. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so. Well, cool. Well, thank you again, everyone who stuck with us to the end. This is fantastic. I really, I learned a lot from this conversation. Um, Zahori Zapata, if people, thank you, first of all, for suggesting this and joining us for this. This is fantastic. Um, Zahori Zapata. (laughs) (laughs) If people want to get in touch with you, Zahori Zapata, and uh, and, uh, engage with your material working on, where can they go? Uh, okay, so you can subscribe to my webcomic of Wrath and Peace at ofwrathandpeace.com. I can also post the link on our Facebook. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And then if you want my other social media links, uh, I have a card, like an online business card. So you just go to uh, thor-nn.carrd.co. I know it's just a lot of spelling, but I trust me, you, you need it. So that's thorn.card.co. Um, and you can find all my social media links there to like my art profile and everything like that. And my webcomic link is there as well. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, and check out her, her comic. It's really good. You are an incredibly talented artist. Oh, and for any you. of you guys out there who love webtoons and like these uh, digital comics, please check it out. It's really Do cool. It. 
and artists need to support artists. So really, yes. uh, if you like, if you like art and you like supporting artists, go check out her awesome comic. Um, yeah. You're cool. And Nathan, where, uh, where can they go? People, if they want to get in touch with you. They can go to nathanclarkson.me or they can search my name, Nathan Clarkson on any of the socials. Cool. Nathan, do you want people to contact you or people don't find me? I find them. I find them. <laughs> I will look for you. I will find you. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with me, because I'm lazy and I don't want to find you, um, you can go to my socials, you know, Joseph Holmes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also go uh, check out my work at Religion Unplugged, where I talk about uh, faith and movies. Um, and you can find me at josephholmesstudios.com. And uh, yeah, you can also, again, reach out to us at the Overthinkers Journal, and then also visit us on our Facebook page. The over, Just look at Facebook and go for your Overthinkers. All of us are there on the page, mm -hmm. every, you, at least sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and well, thank you everyone again so much for joining. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. That's all folks. Mm -hmm.